0: Well, this morning we close our teaching series on giving. Generosity is coming to an end. We've been looking at giving as a heart condition, and that giving is actually something that shapes our hearts more and more into the likeness of our God. And today, to land the plane, it's time to confront the lie. It is time to confront the lie that more and better stuff makes us happy. It's time to confront the lie that satisfaction comes from accumulation. It's time to confront the lie that having more things or owning more things or maybe just upgrading the things we have is actually something that brings satisfaction. It's the lie that our existence should be centered on satisfying our appetites. Especially our appetite for money, for security, for possessions. This morning we confront the lie that meaning and happiness come from consumption. See, I've bought into the lie. And probably you have too. We know better. I mean, we're Christians after all. But it is just so all-pervasive in our culture. Maybe it's more than just a lie. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe it's an infection. For example, um, on Wednesday I was perfectly content. It was a good day. The sun was shining. I was home with the kids. Had a cup of coffee. It was perfect until I saw that there was something in my mailbox. And I pulled out the stack of flyers. And normally, it, the flyers go from my mailbox to my recycling bin. But they kind of fell open in my hands and I looked at them. Well, that's a mistake. Suddenly, I am no longer content. Because it turns out Bed Bath & Beyond is having the sale on a Vitamix blender. And we've got a good blender, but we don't have a Vitamix blender. And with a $50 gift card, I mean, that functionally lowers the price. And maybe I actually need a Vitamix blender to be happy. Or Ocean State Job Lot. I mean, I do have an umbrella for my back patio, but I don't have an offset umbrella. And, I mean, $60, compare at 150 maybe I should be upgrading my patio umbrella. And don't get me started on Amazon and one-click ordering. I mean, that's just like Christmas every day, right? You, you, You click a button... And there's even a delay while it's shipped to you that builds your sense of anticipation and then the box arrives and it smiles at you? (laughs) Even the things that I thought I was content with, it takes almost nothing to undermine that contentment. 30 seconds before I looked at those flyers, I was content. 30 seconds later, I found myself wanting more. I think I've bought into the lie. I mean, even other things. The things that are real and significant, the things that carry the most meaning for us in our culture have been co-opted by consumption. Think of Christmas. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what most people think about at Christmas. They think about buying... Stuff to give to people who already have stuff. It's about consumption. Even Easter, I am shocked, instead of celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that is offered in His name, Easter baskets are becoming increasingly a thing. You know, what did you get for Easter is a question you hear among the kids. Oh, I got a skateboard and a new gaming console. Thanksgiving! Which should be the time in our year where we stop to express gratitude for God, except for this whole Black Friday thing. Which is now like Black Thursday, which is now like the whole week the sales go, and it's the time of the year where we stop. We should be giving thanks to God, and instead we are laser focused on getting the best deals. I'm convinced it's not just me that's taken the bait, that's fallen for the lie. You know the percentage of Americans that are carrying consumer credit card debt? My stats are a little old. They're back from 2014, but the principle here is not out of date. Now when I say the percentage of Americans carrying consumer credit card debt, I'm not talking about like a car loan debt. I'm not talking about mortgage debt. I'm talking about debt incurred on a credit card to buy stuff. Just under 50% of Americans carry a balance on their credit cards. That means they're paying anywhere between 18 and 24% interest so they can buy more stuff. They're spending money they don't have to buy things they don't need. And when I say they, I kind of mean we. And when you add up, well, okay, so maybe they're carrying like one or two dollars of credit card debt. How much are they actually carrying? Maybe it's, you know, let's put a chart up there that you can't see, but oh, maybe it's like a thousand bucks. Maybe. Nope, not a thousand bucks. Maybe it's like three thousand bucks. Nope, the average debt is not three thousand dollars. Maybe it's five thousand. Nope, the average debt is not five thousand. The average debt is fifteen thousand dollars. That's the average debt in 2014. That's insane. That adds up to something like Oh, 0900 billion dollars of debt being carried on consumer credit cards in our country consumption isn't just infecting us it's ruining us it's ruining lives it's a sickness it's an addiction and it is based on a lie That meaning and happiness can be found by consuming. The vision of the good life being sold by our world is that you have nice things and you'll be happy. And as Christians, we have to reject the lie. We have to say we will not be ruled by the principles of this world. We will not be manipulated by advertising and consumer culture. We will not allow money or possessions or consumption to become our idols. And we will reject this world's version of what the good life is. We belong to Jesus. And one of the most powerful tools for confronting the lie, one of the most effective mechanisms for breaking its power over us, it's giving. It's giving. Giving is an act of rebellion that breaks the power money has over us. Giving is an act of rebellion that breaks the power money has over us. And I'm going to prove it to you from God's Word. So we better go to the Bible. There's a couple of things, a couple of assertions I want to make here this morning that support this thesis. And the first is this. You know, money itself is not evil. And we should probably establish that relatively up front this morning. Money itself is not evil. It's just a tool that can be used for good or for ill. I happened to have acquired a chainsaw this past week as I was cutting two trees into firewood. A chainsaw is a tool that has an appropriate purpose. You use it to cut wood. A chainsaw has inappropriate uses as well if you've ever seen a Friday the 13th movie. (laughs) And yes, I should probably be fired for referencing a Friday the 13th movie from the pulpit. But the idea is there's nothing inherently moral about a chainsaw. It's a tool. And you can use it for good or for ill. Money. There's nothing inherently moral about money. About having money. About not having money. Money is just a tool that can be used for good or for ill. So money itself is not the problem. Scripture never says money is the problem. What Scripture says is that the love of money is the problem. That money and possessions have this way of becoming the most important things in our lives even more important than our lives with God. This is what Scripture says is a problem. And we see that most clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're actually going to camp out in 1 Timothy 6. This is a powerful chapter about money and possessions that we would do well to allow it to infiltrate our souls. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, we find these words. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This this is, Paul's not pulling any punches as he's writing about money, right? Look at the constellation of words he uses to describe this. Those who want to get rich, he says, fall into temptation. It's a trap. It's foolish. It's harmful. It brings ruin and destruction. How do you really feel about this, Paul? He's saying the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money itself is bad. It's this love of money that he's identifying. And then he says some people... Eager for money. They wander off from the faith and end up piercing themselves with many grief, right? They wander. The faith, the journey following Jesus is this way. But then we're like, but the, money, the, money's, over, the money's over there. I want to I go that way. And they leave the faith. They chase after money. Whether it's more stuff, the root of the lie. Whether it's money in the hopes of finding security. Or maybe it's just feeling good and satisfying our appetites. Maybe it's genuinely thinking it's a source of significance and meaning ultimately, it takes God off the throne of our lives and money goes right on top. We call that idolatry in the church. When anything else takes the primary place in our lives, that's idolatry. And that's the lie. The lie that this world is selling us is that consumption and possessions and money itself Will somehow take the place of a God who loves us and knows us and wants us to know Him. The lie is right here in Scripture. Chase after these things, Paul writes, and you will be pierced with grief and overtaken by ruin and destruction. So, how do we fight back? that's the lie that's the messaging it's all around us it's in our mailboxes it's on our tv screens it's in the malls and the grocery stores it's everywhere it's the, the 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 matrix in which we live how do we fight back on an advertising culture bent on enticing us into consumption An economy built on consumption and a society that now believes the highest human good is to satisfy your cravings and desires, to satisfy one's appetites. Well, here's a crazy idea. If the love of money is the problem, give it away. If the love of money is the problem, give it away. Because giving is an act of rebellion that breaks the power money has over us. Just give it away. Now, pause there. There's a couple examples in Scripture where Jesus gets crazy on people. Go sell all your possessions, give everything to the poor, and follow me, he says to the rich young ruler. And we all say, oh please dear Jesus, don't ask that much of us. And the reality is He doesn't ask that much of us. It's very rare that Jesus actually does that in Scripture. And He does that primarily to people who don't have dependence. <laughs> he does that primarily to people who have a very unique relationship with money that needs to be confronted. I'm not proposing that you give all your money away. Maybe even for this reason. I'm not sure that's even wise. Removing your exposure to the temptation doesn't help you overcome the temptation in all cases let, let's change the, change the appetite let 's move away from money, consider food and struggling with the overconsumption of food. The solution is not never eat food again right that doesn't make sense. you need food to live it's a good thing the Lord has provided, so as such, an appropriate response to the overconsumption of food is not. Avoid food forever. No, what you need is a redeemed relationship with food. Where you learn moderation and contentment. So in the same spirit, the solution saying, if, if the love of money is the problem, give it away. I'm not saying just give it all away and go live in a monastery or a convent or something. What I am saying is, we live in a world where money seems to be necessary and where God actually provides for His people. It's a good thing should the Lord have you in a season where he's providing financial resources for you. So as such, you're not being encouraged to avoid money altogether. What we need is a redeemed relationship with money. Where we learn moderation and contentment. And that comes through generosity. We are taught contentment through generosity. That same text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you look down to verses 17 through 19, you find an amazing text that deals with this idea of how do we handle money. Paul writes, command those who are rich. Okay, so now he's talking to those who actually have financial resources. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. What what is he starting with? He's saying, we don't do idolatry here. Tell them not to put their hope in their wealth. There's only one place where your hope belongs. Tell them to put their hope in God. He's orienting them towards their money. He's helping them, he's helping redeem their relationship with money and say, money is never the top spot in your life. God is always, the, money is never the source of your hope and security. God is always the source of your hope and security. Let's make sure that God claims top spot and we cede that position to him. Put your hope in God, who, incidentally, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not stingy. And while there are seasons in our lives where we may experience hardship and want, there are plenty of times where God also, throughout the Scriptures even, you know how often feasting happens in the Bible? And what is feasting if not a celebration and enjoyment of the things that God has made? What is a cookout on the the front lawn of the church if not a feast celebrating that God has taken care of our needs? He continues saying, but command them to do good and to be rich, not just financially, but to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. And what he's basically doing here is saying, remember the previous three weeks of the teaching series? Yeah, all that. Live a lifestyle of gratitude before God. Live a lifestyle where your priorities are aligned with God. Live a lifestyle where you're trusting in God so that you are generous and willing to share. And yes, it's about more than money. It's about our whole lives and doing good and being rich in good deeds. And in this way, we will lay up for ourselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may take hold of life that is truly life. And I love that expression. Life that is truly life. Because the life that this world is selling us, the lie is that you want real life? Buy more stuff. The lie is you want real life? Hoard your wealth. Accumulate. Consume. But the Scriptures say, if you want life, life that is truly life, well, that is something completely different than what this world is selling a life that is truly life is a life of gratitude, a life of trust, a life aligned with God's priorities. It is a life of giving and generosity because we have a relationship with our God who has been extravagantly generous with us. I mean, just look at our God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Inherent to God's character and nature is that he is a giver. The free gift of eternal life has been offered to anyone who would put their faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's a no strings attached. That's not a an exchange of commodities. It's not even a consumption that we pay for and then we get in return. It is a free gift because God, the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who wants to be known by us, He is the first, the best, and the ultimate giver. And His motivation for giving is that He so loves the world. For God so loves the world. And this is the motivation that undergirds the entire conversation about giving and I've been saving it for the very end. God gives because God loves. Let that sink in. Because we're talking about giving as a heart condition. This is the most foundational level of the conversation. We give because we love. God has loved us, so we love others. Why do we give? Yes, out of obedience? Sure, absolutely we give. Out of gratitude? Yes, that's why we give. To declare our trust in God? Yes, that's why we give. But all of these reasons pale in comparison to the one heart condition that Jesus Himself demonstrated for us. Jesus gave His life because He loves us. And we give so that we can love like he does. This is the gospel, the good news. And we can live out the gospel every day as we give, not out of obligation, not out of responsibility, but because we love well. We are called to follow Christ's example. We see that even in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. The motivation is right here. We are dearly loved. And so we're invited to follow that example. We're called now to walk in the way of love. And what does that look like? Just as Christ loved us and gave. He gave Himself. What's a little bit of money compared to that? What I'm saying is, this whole series has actually been about Jesus. Surprise! But if we genuinely love like Jesus loves, then we'll give. And if we genuinely love ourselves more, then we won't. Giving is a heart condition. Because it's a tangible way that we can show love. God's love in an unbelieving world. This is how we fight back against the messaging of our culture. This is how we confront the lie that meaning and happiness comes from consumption. We give because giving is an act of rebellion that breaks this power that money has over us. And expresses the love that God has. That he can demonstrate through us. That's why giving is a heart condition. Because it's all built on the foundation of love. You can give 10% to the church till you're blue in the face. And if you have not love, you've got nothing. You can meet needs around you. Giving because you feel it's an obligation. And you will be empty and vacuous inside. You can donate to charity. You can donate your time, talents, and energy. But if you're not doing it from a place of love, you will not find meaning. You will not find significance. And you will never find joy. But if you can just catch a glimpse of how much Jesus loves you, and how much He's given you, and if that's your motivation... For overflowing that, it will change your world. So we've been saying this whole series, giving is a heart condition. So let's put it all together. We started in week one. We looked at gratitude, saying tithing expresses and cultivates gratitude in our hearts. That idea of 10% to the local church, not as a command but as a healthy biblical precedent and even a starting place for a life of extravagant giving. We saw that the heart condition we're looking for here, though, is gratitude. And then week two, we looked at aligning our priorities. The giving is a one way that we can align our hearts with God's own priorities in the world. We're called to take care of our own people, our own families, even our parents. Take care of God's people, the church. Take care of all people, especially the least of these, those in distress. We want a heart condition, a heart that is aligned with God's priorities. Week three, we looked at trust and we saw the giving is a significant act of trust. I'm giving my money away. Whose money? Oh right, God's money. And if it's all His anyways, then I'm going to give, trusting that He's going to continue to provide. and That provision is an expression of His love. And then this week... We see rebellion, that giving is a way that we can break the power money has over us. If the love of money is the problem, give it away and watch as that stronghold is broken in your life. But if you take all of these things together, they build, it's like a crescendo, you add one and then you add the next, you add the next, you get gratitude, you get the priorities aligned, you get trust and rebellion, and you see the giving is a heart condition and there's a name for what it all builds to, and that's the giving is an act of worship. And we say this every week at church. We invite you to come forward during the next few songs to give your tithes and offerings as an act of worship. We want to be people who are so completely captivated by the beauty of what God has given us that our lives reflect that beauty as we give generously to people around us. That is a life with God on the throne and everything else brought under His Lordship. It is part of a holistic lifestyle of worship, where worship is not just the songs we sing. Worship is not just the Bible studies we go to. But worship actually takes over every aspect of our lives. That means our time and the gifts God has given us and our money. And it means honoring the Lord with our abilities and even our relationships, our sexuality, our finances. It means worshiping God with our energy and our work and our investments and our giving. Because giving is a heart condition and it's a heart condition of worship. It's an act of worship that honors and delights the heart of God. Following Jesus doesn't stop just before the financial section of our lives. It's all of life. Our money, just like every other area of our lives, is to be brought under the lordship of Jesus. And so, maybe as we conclude this whole series, we said from the very beginning, we're not giving because God's short on cash. We're not giving because the church is in financial desperation. We're giving because giving actually shapes our hearts. So, maybe the question I have as we conclude is this How will you let your heart be shaped? By giving. Maybe this is going to require sitting down, either as a family or just with your finances, and to consider what you've heard through the series. Is there one avenue, one aspect, one angle about giving that the Lord has just sort of laid more heavily on your heart? Consider what you've heard from Him through the series. Consider what you've seen in His Word. And I challenge you to make one change. Just one. Okay, if you want to make two, you can, but let's just start with one. Maybe that means for the first time making a budget and being intentional with where your money goes. That might be a first step towards even beginning a journey towards giving. Or maybe it's actually reevaluating your budget and saying, I want to try to more, more closely approach a number like 10% that I might demonstrate gratitude for God. Or maybe it's, it's not about reallocating more of your money. Maybe it's about lowering your standard of living and saying I'm going to give up something in order that I have some free resources that I might be able to respond to needs as I see them. That I might be able to give to people who are in need. Maybe it's even just a commitment to pay attention to the lives around you so that you notice when people have need. And then you can sneak in there and do your covert op of giving. Or maybe, maybe it's just paying attention to your heart condition when you give. Maybe it's even paying attention to your heart condition as you walk up to the front or as you click OK on your online banking app. But that when you do these acts of giving, you're doing them with a heart condition of gratitude to God for all the ways He's provided. That you're doing them by saying, God, I I choose to align my life with Your priorities. By saying, God, I trust that I can give You this knowing that You're going to take care of the rest. And even as an act of rebellion. Saying, God, I choose You. And this world has garbage in comparison. Maybe Your act of giving is the way that you are no longer going to conform to the pattern of this world. but You're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That You might even be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. So in all of this, my friends, don't for a minute think that this is just about money. Money is just an indicator species. Money is just the frogs in the wetlands of our lives. We're talking about money because giving is an act of worship. And it all comes from a place of genuine love. Being loved by a God who gives. And choosing to love like He loves as we become givers in His image. Will you pray with me?